to the Courage 2 podcast. We are here for another week with an interview that actually takes us across the ocean. That is the gift and the beauty of technology is that I was able to have a call with Sana Karosis in Lithuania and talk about how she has courageously stepped into advocating. So this is the courage to advocate. She does it with such an upbeat attitude and just it's so inspiring and I absolutely loved this conversation with her so she has had to step into advocating on behalf of her kids and she's worked hard and just has such a big heart which you get pretty early on in the interview but just her perspective is amazing so I hope that you enjoy this conversation with her and the one thing that I will note is we have switched things up a little bit so if you noticed last week with the courage to lead there is a second episode that came out after and it was the debrief episode if you haven't listened to that yet go ahead and go back to it and it's just this short conversation between Olivia and I as we basically talk about hey, what were some really cool points that that we pulled from that conversation? And let's let's delve into that a little bit deeper. But we have decided to now add that debrief session to the end of every episode. So you'll get through the interview with Sana, and then at the end, you will hear Olivia and I have just like a 10-minute conversation about, hey, these are some really interesting things that we where uh, we heard and some things that we're thinking about based off of what Sana has said. So stick around for that debrief. Uh, it's, I find it all, it's always a fun conversation between Olivia and I, at least I enjoy it. And hopefully you get a little bit of an inside scoop as to where we're at as well, but also just kind of modeling, like how do you have conversations after you hear something like a podcast rather than just letting it sit there and be information to absorb, but how can you then have a conversation about it? So we, that's what we do is we take the podcast and we then just go talk about it. So that will be at the end of every episode. So stay tuned for that. It's a good time, but for now, the main part of the show, let's go to my conversation with Sana. All right. So here on the podcast, we have Sana. Sana, thank you so much for joining us here all the way from Lithuania, which is wild. So we have a bit of a time zone change that we're working with, which is great. I opted for the early morning and she got the nap time hour, which is great. Um, But Sana, could you just briefly introduce yourself so people can get to know a bit about who you are? Yes, of course. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm Sana Karotas. And uh, I uh, was raised and grew up in Sweden, and then I found myself a Lithuanian. Uh, and um, so my husband is Lithuanian, and he's a pastor here in uh, Lithuania, in Klaipeda. And uh, uh, we have been married for next month, it will be 24 years. Oh, congratulations. And uh, thank you. Yeah, and so we, uh, we are here, and uh, we have five kids now. <laughs> We, we all have only one and two kids, like in all of our, all of our parents and uncles and grandparents. So we are the anomaly <laughs> in our family tree. But yeah, so we have kids ranging from 18, ranging from 18, they're not raging, <laughs> ranging from 18 to two. So we are still, that keeps us young, yeah. <laughs> and uh, up until the birth of my fourth child, my, I had four biological children, I was teaching literature and writing at LCC International University uh, here in Klaipeda. And now I have mainly been home since then. Uh, but I've been very active. I'm, I'm working, but I don't get very, very paid. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm very actively involved with the Down Syndrome Association here in Lithuania. And I travel to school when I could before the corona 
and I'm also involved um, in our local church. So I and I am home with one kid is still at home. Uh, so I have what to do. I have my work cut out for me. Uh, yeah, no kidding. So you have kids in like every single life stage, kind of like the toddler right. stage, the kids, yeah. teens, got it all. Right. And since three days, we also have a dog. So now we are like eight living beings in our house. You got a dog. <laughs> Yeah, we have a Shih Tzu, a little puppy who is almost two months old, and we don't know if we are brave or insane, but we'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> wow. Um, what inspired you guys to get a dog? It's our 11-year-old. She's been asking for a dog for many years, and on a whim, my husband said, if you clean your room for a year, you'll get a dog, and she has. So there was no going back on that. Wow. <laughs> That's hardcore. We should say back go back on his word but that would not go well but really what 11 year old would clean their room for a year that's like hardcore dedication yeah, yeah especially if you would know the mayhem that you lived in before that so it's like a complete personality change <laughs> she had to overcome herself and so she impressed us very much and yeah wow. is her is her room gonna stay clean from now on yeah, well, it's looking good. It seems oh. like so far in the three days she could react. <laughs> it's been extra clean because, of course, the dog wants to nibble at anything that's left on the floor. So that also helps it keep clean. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Wow. So the focus for today's podcast is all about the courage to advocate. So you have been in this really incredible season, I guess, of advocating on behalf of your daughter and now your adopted son. Can you tell us a mm -hmm. bit of the backstory there? Yes. So, well, it is, uh, in one sense, it is a little bit, it's, uh, it's humorous how, how God works, but uh, uh, I'm Swedish and uh, we moved here to Lithuania, which was very uncommon 20 years ago. This was, you know, had been independent from the Soviet Union for about uh, well, eight years when we moved here, and so um, it, there was still a very stark difference between Western, Western and Eastern Europe. And so most people that had an international marriage, it would be an Lithuanian wife finding uh, somebody from abroad and moving there. So I would get a lot of questions early on. Not that now it has changed, but and they would ask me, "So you're from Sweden, and you live here?" And then the third question would be, "Why?" And so I would tell that I love it here. We have work that we are really happy with. We feel fulfilled and there's meaning. But then I would add as a caveat at the end. But the one reason I would want to maybe move back to Sweden is if I would have a child with a disability. Because Sweden, you know, has gone, come further along when it comes to inclusion and meaningful work um, uh, for children with uh, or people with disabilities. So... Uh, so it's almost like the joke is on me. It's like, okay, we'll see what happens now. Because then, after so many years, in 2017, we had our fourth child. And uh, when she was born, we found out that she has Down syndrome. Uh, and, of course, by now, Lithuania is quite different from the Lithuania I moved to in 1998. Uh, and there was never any talk of, uh, of moving to Sweden. But I also knew that although Lithuania had made great progress, there was still there's still a long ways to go when it comes to the to law uh, enforcement like and uh, and especially on the attitude of society and uh, so i knew that i didn't just want to sit on the sideline and applaud the people that are making life for my daughter more 
um, worthwhile and, and accepting. So I just realized I wanted to be a part of it. I, I want to you know, be in there. So uh, uh, I started uh, going to schools because in, uh, in our history, when my husband and I met, we, we worked in a theater company and traveling to school and standing in front of an audience was you know, something we did every day. So it seems like that had prepared me very well to go in. So I put together a program and talking about what Down syndrome is. And the first time we did it, Eva was about eight months old. And so she was hanging in a baby carrier and she was with me. And so we traveled around to schools in in Kleifeda mainly because we couldn't travel too far away. But I also got opportunities to to speak in front of bigger audiences and and whenever whenever there's a journalist that asks me to for an interview, I my standard answer is yes. I'm thinking there can't be possibly any more people in Lithuania that want to hear about that. <laughs> but I, I always offer. Maybe you want to talk to another family. But uh, but I always say yes because I know that you know our kids will benefit from it, and I have in all of the school uh, schools I've been to I've spoken live to about seven thousand people, and, and that have met Eva or Motius or now on Zoom of course because of you know the situation in the world, um, and everybody has been overwhelmingly positive. So I kind of joke and I say that. This is kind of a, a selfish mission because I'm just preparing um, um, employers for Eva for when she grows up. Because the kids that I meet now are the ones that are going to have businesses in the future <laughs> that Eva and now Matthias can work at. Oh. So when you go and speak to people, you said it's generally like a positive reception from people, correct? Like people are yes. like are willing to learn and listen. From a systemic level, do you see change happening? Yes, I'm not so much. I mean, there are two ways that change happen, right? It's through law, uh, changes in the law, and through education. So I, uh, since I am an educator, uh, that felt like the natural fit for me. But of course, you also need uh, a change in the law. So for instance, in Lithuania, we're working on a bill so that in 2024, schools uh, that are in the district of a person with a disability do not have the right to say no. Right now, the school can decide what children they want to receive. And that, of course, uh, begs for discrimination. Uh, and so, so that's something that is going to happen. And also, there are, there are great changes in Lithuania and also pressure from the United Nations and uh, to have to have to not have adult people with intellectual disabilities live uh, in big institutions, you know, with 200 people, because there's very little agency for them, you know, to decide what they want to do or what they want to eat, because you know it's just like a big, yeah, it's a big institution, and and they are, you know, just existing there. Uh, so to move away from that, to build smaller group homes or or buy apartments so that they can live two and three. You know, and in that way, have more agency. Um, it's interesting uh, when it comes to Lithuania. As I said, Lithuania is changing a lot, and and you can see that. I mean, not not to be mean to or stereotype older people, but there is a tendency for people that lived, uh, like I call them, the Homo Sovieticus, <laughs> the people that were influenced or lived in the environment of the Soviet Union, which had you know a very utilitarian view uh, of people and. And uh, and was definitely having that politics of of, uh, of discrimination and 
and um, uh, segregation. Uh, so we have very we have some small budding businesses like there is a cafe in Vilnius now that is uh, uh, that employs people with intellectual disabilities, so Down syndrome, but also other disabilities. And uh, it is very clear the the a friend of the friend of mine that started it. He says that when people are at 45 or 40 50 or older, they would go, why do you do this? I mean, why bother? While the younger generation, wow, this is so cool. Oh, great. Oh, I'll come back. I'll invite my friends. So there is, and that's of course not, you know, you can't blame the older generation. They're simply just a product of their environment, right? And that's, I mean, they never saw people with disabilities because of that segregation and living in, 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 in those institutions. Uh, a friend of mine who is, she's about my age, so, you know, mid-40s, and she said that she saw her first uh, person in a wheelchair, uh, so uh, the first disabled person, which wasn't even an intellectual disability, because there's still more stigma to the intellectual disability from a mobile disability, but she saw the first person when with a wheelchair when she went on an Erasmus program to Spain uh, in her 20s. So never once in Lithuania had she seen it. And another friend told me that uh, they had family friends and whenever they were invited to their apartment for dinner, there was always this one door that was locked. And they and that there was something behind that door, but they knew not to ask and everybody pretended like it didn't exist. But now she realizes that there's probably like a family member with some sort of a disability that was just, wow, you know. So, uh, so this is, I mean, and, and uh, it's not that that didn't happen in Sweden, it's just that it's further away, right? So uh, I, I went to school, you know, in, in the 80s and the 90s, and we already have people with intellectual disabilities in our, in our classrooms. And so, so I, I, like, I can't, I don't come here and pride myself, oh, you don't know anything. I mean, I'm just a product of my society as much as people here are a product of theirs. And um, and it's really exciting to see how it is changing. And and even when I look at articles in, in newspapers, like some 10 years ago, when anybody interviewed a parent that had a, a, a child with a disability, there would be no photos because they, they didn't want to show themselves. Or I mean, I can't I can't speak for them. Maybe, but I mean, shame certainly played at least a small part in it. Mm-hmm. But now people like post their photos and. And uh, and you see, you know that wow, they ha- they live just like us, like and that and that is what uh, what breaks the stereotype. Like when you see that, oh, you still go on vacation, you still can have fun, and but that just wasn't shown, so people just don't know. Uh, another exciting example is from Instagram. Uh, in 2017, when Eva was born, I went in to see what uh, was under the Lithuanian hashtag of Down syndrome. Of course, if you do it in English, Down syndrome, there are millions of photos and they're all like just bubbling with positivity. So out of curiosity, uh, I plugged in the Lithuanian equivalent and there were three photos and they were all negative. One was simply just a black screen as if that represents Down syndrome. And one even worse was from a, from a genetic clinic that said, let's work against Down syndrome, go get tested. You know, and then there was this, this big, happy belly as if it's only happy you know you can make sure it doesn't have down syndrome and um and so but now then four years later uh there are there i think last i checked it was half a thousand of photos and again just from families from everyday life so there's joy there's happiness and so you can see and that's how you change 
um, change the attitude because people are usually afraid what they, of what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And so if you've never met a person with a disability, I mean, you can come up with all kinds of you know, monstrous stories or like heartache and, uh, and that it's just, you know, black. That's kind of what the everyday man used to think because they didn't know anything else. Wow. The, wow. I don't even know what to say right now. That's a, <laughs> that's a big shift that has to happen for like, from a cultural point, like to have three photos posted right. that are all negative and just mm-hmm. the lack of awareness. But I love what you said about, you know, just wanting to make it like real life. Like they, just because you have an intellectual disability or you have Down syndrome, like doesn't mean you can't live a normal and a real life like everybody else. And uh, just right. normalizing yeah. that and making it relatable. I, I like that, that approach to it. Yes, absolutely. And when we found out Eva's diagnosis, of course, we all then just hit the well of, of all knowledge and wisdom, which is Google. And, <laughs> and you start looking at, and I was, I count myself very blessed because when I was 10, not only did we have people with intellectual disabilities in school, but when I was 10 years old, my best friend, she had a sister with, and she had Down syndrome. So I knew from personal experience a person and I loved her you know at that age you really you really want a brother or sister but I only had an older sister so Emma which is her name uh, was like my little sister she was the only baby in my environment and so I just loved her to pieces and and then from her I had seen with my own eyes I mean she's over 30 she's 35 years old now and uh, I had seen that she lived you know, a worthwhile and meaningful life. And she is a Paralympic star winning gold all over the world in downhill skiing, alpine skiing. And um, so that was really encouraging to me. And uh, what I didn't know was that there are other, although, you know, uh, apart from Down syndrome, they also have other health challenges. You know, many are born with a, with a heart defect. There are more people with Down syndrome that also have autism and, uh, and um, uh, oh, what's the word, I mean, diabetes. Uh, they have, some don't hear very well, which of course affects their ability to speak. If you can't hear clearly, then you can't speak clearly. So, uh, so all of those challenges that are, you know, that probably like from day to day, we don't think so much about the Down syndrome. We think more about, you know, how to make sure that, you know, they get the best medical care to overcome all of those additional hurdles that they have to, that they have to overcome. Uh, but then, so when I'm in the hospital, I'm Googling, and I come across this wonderful meme uh, with a girl is super cute with Down syndrome, and it says this just mind-blowing statistic where it says that 98% of people with Down syndrome like who they are. And that just blew my mind. Because I'm thinking, especially like in Lithuania, we are uh, in the top of the world when it comes to suicide and depression. So we have a lot of mental health challenges as a country. And so then to see that, wow, people with Down syndrome seem almost immune to that. So, and that brought me such comfort because as a mother, what is it that I want? I mean, I want my children to find their place in the world and be, and be happy in finding their life's purpose in, you know, being, you know, finding their, their place. And I, and I realized, well, maybe I need to worry about Eva the least because, (laughs) You know, it seems like she's got it made, but I have to worry about these three other ones, you know, because, and I often tell that to audiences when I meet, especially when I talk to high schoolers that, you know, that statistic, 98%, it's 
very unlikely that we have such a high percentage in any of the other audiences that I speak to. Um, and so then I realized, man, maybe, maybe it would have been better if all my kids had Down syndrome. <laughs> There's less worry you know, for, for their, for, for their you know, happiness or for their joy and fulfillment in life. So I realized as long as they are accepted, uh, then it's very likely that she will have an awesome life. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's so beautiful. <clears throat> it reminds me of like just the fact that we also need each other because I'm sure like any audience that you've spoken to, Eva probably brings so much life to the people that uh, that get to interact with her whenever you're speaking or even just at a grocery store. That she probably brings so much life and joy and and that that is just like a beautiful gift to offer, especially in a country that's so prone to depression and suicide. Like we need people like Eva to bring the joy and the excitement. And um, yeah, so it in my head, I'm like, oh, that's that's why we need everybody. That's why we need to include everybody because everybody right. has a role to play and is a gift to offer to somebody else. So that's that's amazing. Right. Yeah, yeah. We often quote Henry Nouwen, uh, and that I often end my my talk talking about. You know, if if like in the world, we are so often we are fooled to treasure above all like beauty, power, money, and, and in those areas, I mean, people with intellectual disabilities they have pretty much nothing to compete with. But if we just stop to realize what is important in life, you know friendship, faithfulness, life without math, like just that heart to heart, mm-hmm. then they can truly be our teachers. And, and Eva and Matthias, they are my teachers. Like to see life, you know, just simpler. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. You have mentioned Matthias a couple times. Do you want to let us know who he is? Yes. So a year ago in April, uh, we welcomed another boy with Down syndrome into our family. Uh, in Lithuania, uh, it still happens, it's not as common anymore, but it still happens that children are left because uh, of their syndrome. And so he was born and left in the hospital immediately after birth and lived, uh, well, first he lived three months in the hospital because he had a much more severe heart issue than Eva. Eva does have a heart issue, but it's nothing that requires operation, but he required an operation. So when he was four months old, he had a super serious heart operation and they didn't think he would pull through, but he's a trooper and he did. Uh, and then he moved to the orphanage in Klaipeda. We still, they, they are working and that's on the structure level. We're working on, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like to not have orphanages anymore uh, and to have children. Well, of course the idea would be to adopt, but at least then in foster care or in more of a home environment. But it's hard to find homes uh, for children with disabilities because people are you know, afraid of what care it entails. So he lived in an orphanage, but the orphanage has only eight kids compared to over 100 a couple of years ago. So, I mean, it's moving wow. in the right direction. Um, and so since I'm so active in the Down Syndrome Association, I mean, there's, there's huge privacy issues and you can't know anything. But somehow through the grapevine, I heard that there was a boy with Down Syndrome in the, in the orphanage. And of course... He is one of us now. I mean, we are, we have like this tribe, right? And so we just couldn't stop thinking about him. And first I thought, and so we found out about him in, in September of 2019 when he was eight months old. 
and and I couldn't stop thinking about him. But I thought, well, I'm a woman, you know, that's like the motherly instinct and knowing that he's there, left to fend for himself. And so I realized that, well, that's probably just my emotions, you know, feeling sad for him. But then my husband said, you know what? I think about him every day. And then we started, wow, well, what does this mean? Um, and we have fostered in the past. So uh, we had gone through the courses that you have to uh, go through. And and uh, we started talking, well, what what would that entail? And, and I must confess that it's only, made, well, not maybe only, but to a huge part, it's because of the example uh, I, on Facebook. I'm a part of a group. I don't know. I mean, that's also the providence of God, probably. But... For some reason, I was a part of a group. I'm a part of a lot of Down syndrome groups, but there's this one particular group called Down syndrome adoption. And there are these amazing people. I think they're all Americans. At least I haven't seen that anybody would be from somewhere else, but they adopt one or two or three or four or five children from all over the world, like specifically with Down syndrome. So these children that have been put aside because they didn't fit the standard or they didn't like rise up to the expectations that were put on them, uh, they are singled out and wanted, and I just thought that was so beautiful. And I would go there just to look at these amazing saints, right? That, that you know, and they pay thousands and thousands of dollars to fly, you know, to Ukraine, to China, to Bulgaria, you know, to to literally rescue these children, right? And uh, and then of course there was this one video that went viral, and maybe it only went viral in the Down syndrome world, but there was this little girl that her mom filmed that said, do you have some Down syndrome? She's five years old. Yes, I have Down syndrome. And it's scary. No, Down syndrome is not scary at all. And so I would look up this girl and she's adopted from Ukraine because of the family. They had, you know, they have their three, I think, biological boys and the last one had Down syndrome. And so then they adopted one more. And so realizing like, wow, we are like, well, like we are not scared of the syndrome and, and, uh, and just feeling that nudge, you know, do something, do something. And of course, there were a lot of fears involved. Um, like one of them was, well, what if, because I had these arguments with God, you know, that maybe this is not for us. Like, because all of the children from what I've, this is, I've also only heard through the grapevine, I don't have the statistics, but I've been told that the three to five children in Lithuania that are abandoned at birth are all adopted to the States, to similar, like amazing families like these people in the group. So I was thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't adopt him because then, you know, a richer uh, like family from America with more opportunities for therapies or whatnot uh, would take him. But we also knew that, uh, and there are a lot of, that it would take probably a year longer, like we could take him immediately and to wait for that, you know, that maybe American family would take another year that he would spend in an orphanage. Uh, so then we thought, well, maybe we should have foster until that, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, but then that would be, you know, one more family, like how much can a child take? He had already moved twice within the orphanage. I mean, he didn't know that he just moved from upstairs to downstairs. I mean, to him, it was a whole new environment, a whole new set of workers. So when he came to our family, that was like his third move. And so like, how much can you put on a child? Um, and then I thought, well, what if he has a lot of health challenges? Because some children with Down syndrome, they spend months on end in the hospital. And so what if, what do I do with Eva then? And, and it's like for every obstacle that I raised, it was like the Holy Spirit was 
whispering in my ear and said, so, so about this hospital? And I said, what if he needs to be in the hospital for like three months in a row? And then I was like, yeah, so that, does that mean he doesn't need a mother? Like, um, no, of course, he probably needs a mother all the more. Uh, yeah, and it would be easier for another mother? Like, no. <laughs> so, so like this tugging, and then, and and I and then also one uh, where I where well maybe we can take him and try because you know when you foster you know if things go really really bad I mean you haven't signed any papers right and then the Holy Spirit yeah like like God does with you right He just you know puts you on trial first so like, of course not like you are adopted and He just takes and it doesn't matter your performance it doesn't matter you know He just receives you and and that was so convincing to me like. Like, yes, because we, of course, we also had to find out, like, are we just having some savior's complex, you know, to save the world? And so we also involved a lot of our closest friends that to, I wrote down all of my fears. So it was like three or four pages and, you know, and wrote and sent it to our friends so they could pray with us and look from the side, what does this look like? So that it wouldn't just be an impulsive um, decision. Also talking to our older kids. Um, you know what it would mean for them, and you know if they would be up for it. So in the end, uh, we just decided to go for it, thinking that because there's also this big age gap, and of course this wasn't why we did it, but between our third and Eva, uh, there there's eight years. So you know when when Miranda, our 11 year old, she'll be a the dog owner now. <laughs> when she'll be 16, 17, I mean, and the other ones will be out of the house already, uh, the ones that are 16 and 18 now. Then it's like Eva will be all alone, and and uh, I mean that's no fun. So we just uh, thought that, you know, yeah, let's let's do it. And then and then like the final straw was yeah, because if we do that, then that amazing American family can take another child. Like he, then Matthias will already have been taken. So um, yeah, so we decided, and and I thought uh, optimistically that we would have him by Christmas, but finally he came in in April. So that was a year ago. And now, finally, last month, uh, the parental rights were removed so that we can move forward with the adoption because it was because of Corona and because of some other issues. It just was so prolonged, all of that. But I mean, it doesn't make a difference for us. I mean, for us, it does like it does. I mean, he's still with us, whether he's in foster care. But uh, but um, we're hoping that by the summer the adoption will be finalized. And yeah, so now we have five. And so he's still home, and I think that the the um, the COVID whole situation was actually was very good for him because it was just us all the time. He came to us during quarantine, and for for Eva it wasn't so good. She does not like people, and so now when she so now when somebody would come into our home, she was like, "Who are you? Get out of here!" <laughs> <laughs> but so for her it was had maybe some more negative effects. But for him, I think it was very good. Like the same lady puts me to bed and wakes me up. <laughs> you know that there's that consistency and uh, yeah, and it's been going really well. I think that, yeah. And the other thing was that uh, I mean Eva, uh, she's still in diapers. She still does her takes her nap, and so we didn't have to like revamp. Like it's not like we had three teenagers and all of a sudden we took a baby. Like, uh, we, so we had the rhythm already. So it's just that instead of changing one day of diaper, we changed two. And instead of putting one kid to bed, we put two. But they're both really great sleepers and they get along really well. 
Um, and so, yeah, that was another thing I was afraid of, that he would not sleep because I become a really grumpy person when I'm tired. <laughs> so for the welfare of the people that I love, I wanted to make sure that I could sleep well. And uh, they are both so far so good. Thank you, God. And they, they, uh, it's going really well. Mm. What I love about your story with um, Matthias and how just like the consistency of like he had to relearn and retrain kind of his understanding that he wasn't just going to hop around from place to place, but that like you were consistent and you were steady. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like when, when you go and talk to other people and try to educate them on Down syndrome, it's kind of like the same thing where it's just this very consistent educating and it's like you just have to remain faithful to this is I'm going to help you understand that um, like they're not meant like people with Down syndrome shouldn't just be put to the side and they're not crazy and like they are real people and we need to love and care for them just Mm -hmm. as much but it's such a slow and steady process of having to retrain someone's thinking do you find that like just it's slow and steady yeah and Yes, it is. And it's almost like, and, and I'm, I'm not an anthropologist, so maybe, you know, I'm shooting myself in the foot, but in, to some degree, like we almost need to grow up a new generation. Like it's, mm. it's hard to, with the, with the older generation. Um, but uh, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm too cruel on them. But I think that, um, I mean, we see that this change is coming with the newer generation growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you manage that for yourself? Because so when I think of advocating and I think of like the age of social media and how I see classically people advocating, it's very much from a place of anger and from a place of resentment and pointing fingers. And it's it just feels very harsh. So how do you for yourself manage because everything that I've seen you post on social media is like so joy-filled and like it's not naive but but a lot of the things are it's like you're it's real life and you find the joy and all of it and all that sort of stuff so how do you manage for yourself um like the the pain that comes with it but not allowing the pain of what you see especially like conversations coming from the older generation right so that must be heartbreaking for you to hear some of those things and those comments that are directly towards your daughter and now your son. How do you still maintain a place of advocating for good rather than just slipping into anger and resentment and bitterness towards other people? Well, I think for one, that's just who I am. Like I want to focus on the positive. And, and to some degree, like a, one of my colleagues, she uh, is, like her posts are pretty much always angry, but then she it's it's different for her. She's she's talking to the lawmakers and she has an adult daughter and she has no help and so she really feels the lack of social security and abilities. Like she wants to work but she can't because you know, she doesn't have a an assistant for her daughter and she cannot, you know, be alone for even an hour. And so you, when you don't get the help and the care, um, you know, it's easier to point. And somebody needs to point that out, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, it, it, I think also where we are, like we are in a faith community, we have only support. Like 
it's funny because when you know when your first child is born everybody's so excited and you get all gifts and you know yay you know you're getting a child and the second one i mean it's it's expected i mean you could shouldn't have just one right but the third especially here you know in Soviet union where nobody had more than two like in the former Soviet union by the third it's like mm, okay well i guess if you want but by the fourth it's like well don't you know how how to protect yourself <laughs> <laughs> like if, uh, like by the fourth you all practically don't get any attention but because eva was born with down syndrome people were just so eager to show their love to show their support we got so many gifts that i literally had such a diaper mountain that I didn't buy diaper for six months. Oh my goodness. And because people did, yeah, and people standing by post and coming by, there was just so much love. And you know, when you are the recipient of such a great love and care, then it's easy to give out. Like others, like, when I give, like, and I have other moms tell me that, well, yeah, you don't have to show up here anymore. Like, and that's from even from relatives, like, and like and so just that rejection and that hardship and and um and so so in that sense like when i think of Mathias' parents because we know them and they they are here from klaipeda and and um but i have no i mean it's heartbreaking that somebody would want to leave their child but also like we don't know what is at play there uh what you know if you have no support i mean it's so hard to to raise a child with a disability mm -hmm. so uh, we have just been so fortunate and so blessed that there's only only goodness towards us only and who cares what like trolls say on the internet like that runs off me like water from a goose uh, there are the most mean horrible comments uh, whenever there are where there are you know, articles online but it bothers me so little that it I mean, it's also a way of, you know, I feel protected by God. <laughs> that I, I just doesn't bother me at all because I have so much support from the pe people that actually matter in my life. Mm. And so, so I almost have, all, I mean, I feel in one sense pity towards those haters because, you know, why are they so angry? I mean, haters hate, like, or like people hurt people, like hurt people hurt people. That's what I wanted to say. And so uh, just that, that they, they are really missing out. And, and I believe that like, uh, sincerely. So, so yeah, uh, I, I have not, and also some people, but maybe, maybe not so much, it's really changing now. We have a lot of like this fall, a lot of our seven-year-olds in the Down syndrome community entered uh, um, like uh, typical school and not uh, the special ed separate school and that's the change in so every year they're more and more but even like just four or five years ago moms would have their door like uh, their the, the doors slapped in their faces when they wanted to ask if they could if their child could go to kindergarten or so i had nothing like my, my daughter now eva she started going to kindergarten to a typical kindergarten in the fall and our kindergarten teacher had never met a person with down syndrome and she was a little bit scared but now for Down Syndrome Day, which was in March, and she asked if she could post a photo of her and Eva, and she wrote this beautiful post of how Eva had allowed her to see the beauty, you know, of disability. I had also a friend of mine is a is a doctor um, with the, the thyroid, what do you call it, the endocrinologist, 
And she said before, because that's also a problem that many people with Down syndrome have, that their thyroid doesn't work properly. So I would just look at them, you know, and and uh, here's it's one of those again. But then, but now after I've seen what you how you treat Eva and how she's a blessing, like I they come into my office and I look at them differently. So just focusing on the positive and focusing on the changes that I can make, and um, but also realizing that because I haven't you know run up against the system like in a painful way yet, uh, it's also easier you know to not feel that pain because I haven't experienced it I've truly only felt people encouraging and and now we signed up Matthias to the same kindergarten and there was no question and and we were got the news now that he's accepted for the fall oh yay like I haven't I haven't felt any of that um discrimination Hmm. so it sounds like community support and perspective are big things that can really keep you grounded Right. And it's like that African saying, right, that it, ta- that it takes a village to grow a child, and yeah. my village is pretty awesome. And others that don't have such a uh, close-knitted village, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. Is a lot of that uh, close community for you part of the church? Absolutely, yeah. That's really yeah. encouraging. Hmm. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who maybe has a child with some form of disability who is wanting to advocate on their child's behalf or anybody who has a, has a need that they want to advocate change for what like two or three tips and tricks or thing or advice would you give them as they start a journey? Well, I mean, in our age and day and age, I mean, social media, can be used for good. It's, it's used for a lot of evil, and there are a lot of problems with social media, but it also can be good. And so to just, uh, when I when Eva was born, I started a blog, um, and it was the only one that I knew of from, like in, because when we looked at America, or like there are blog, mom blogs all over the place, uh, but there was nothing in Lithuanian, and, but they are also popping up more and more, which is, you know, shows the, the change and that, you know that to that parents are literally proud, and not only are they not ashamed anymore of their child, but they are proud and want to show life. So uh, just starting, you know, posting things that because you can get an audience. I mean, I have a lot of people that follow me that I don't know just because I try to consistently uh, post. I I post consistently, but quite but very very rarely and consistently <laughs> I, because I just don't have time to sit. Like I go to Instagram literally only to post. I never, I never stay to look at stuff. I just want to, you know, keep spreading uh, the good vibes, um, like to, to do what I can do. And then once you do, once you start becoming more vocal, people will contact you because the more visible you are, uh, the more, you know, people will find out and want to ask you to participate here and there. The I had. I didn't really, I mean, it just happened that I started traveling to schools. It started with my neighbor uh, and good friend. She's an elementary school teacher, and they were going to invite children from a special ed school, and they just wanted, she wanted to prepare her children. You know, what is disability? She said, can you come and talk about intellectual disability? And so I did, and once I did, other teachers, like, heard, I heard that you went to school. Can you come to our school? Can you come? And then, so that whole first, couple of months 
I didn't do any PR. It was just from mouth to mouth. And mm. I got invitations from outside of Flypeda. And then when I realized that, hey, this is how I can use my maternity leave, because uh, I'm not the sit at home kind of girl. Uh, and so, of course, I, I also tried to not overdo it. Like, I would never go to more than two or three schools per week and only one class a day. Like when we were actors, when we met, so then we would do like four schools and five, six lessons every day. But of course, with the baby, you know, her needs, she needs to be fed. She needs to be, you know, have had her nap uh, for her to be happy for one class. So I never do two in a row. And, uh, and yeah, so just the word of mouth then will, will take you far. And, and um, so those, that was two. I don't, I can't come up with a third. Well, yeah, so just posting and like whether you do a blog or just have a page on Facebook or mm -hmm. on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then finding the opportunities as they come and just taking them. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay. We are, um, yeah, this has been fantastic. I'm going to end off with our, the last two questions that I ask every single person that I interview. And the first one is what story or person in the Bible do you tend to gravitate towards or that resonates with you more than any other one? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I had the questions in advance. I had thought a little about it. And, and I don't know if it's, I, so the immediate person that came to mind was Ruth. And I don't know if it's because I just read about her in my year in a uh, Bible in a year, <laughs> like the app that I follow. But it, it really resonates to me uh, leaving behind your life, your culture, because here I am in a culture that's very different from my own. Um, and, uh, and just that faith and trust in, in leaving behind it. When I moved here, I mean, we were students and I didn't think about that I would, you know, die here. It was, you know, I was just, you know, 20 years something. And, and just a couple of years ago, I thought, because I, I feel very Swedish and I and I love Sweden and I recreate all of our holidays and everything. But and then I realized I hope if not I mean if this continues like it has for the past twenty years, I'll be buried here. And I'm like, oh. Because of course I want to be buried next to my husband. Why would I want to go to Sweden? But then it's like I'll be buried abroad. Like mm. no. Like and it was just such a weird, weird thought. I hadn't thought about it before it just shows that I'm getting older. <laughs> but yeah, so the Ruth, you know, deciding to leave behind, you know, where you go, I'll go, and where you die, there I will die, and I'll be buried. And that, yeah, just, you know, I, I have lived now longer in Lithuania than I have lived in Sweden. And so I'm practically doing it, mm. <laughs> which you can tell when I speak Lithuanian. <laughs> is that my language ability is just incredible. I mean, I speak it okay, but I make a lot of, I always laugh. People laugh because I make funny funny mistakes <laughs> they say that Lithuanian and this is beside the point but that in heaven we'll all speak Lithuanian because it will take an eternity to learn <laughs> <laughs> all right I'm ready I should start now <laughs> you're right um okay you said Swedish holidays are there different holidays in Sweden than in Lithuania yes yes my favorite ones my favorite two ones of course Christmas Easter I mean those are the same mm -hmm. on the 13th of December we celebrate Lucia which is, is this mix now of Christian, pagan, but she was an Italian saint, so I don't know why we celebrate her in the north. But, <laughs> and so there are particular songs and particular food, so, so I always have to you know, bake with saffron. We make these amazing saffron buns. 
And then on the last of April, uh, we kind of welcome the spring uh, with a big bonfire. And I sang, I used to sing in the choir. So of course the songs are very important. And so the songs that I just, yeah, I miss them so much. I miss singing them. And of course we, I can put them on, but it's not the same as actually going to that bonfire. And mm-hmm. yeah. Do you at least have a bonfire out in your backyard or something? Yeah, well, we can maybe heat up the grill or something. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, and our last question is, because this podcast is all about courage and different ways that we can enter into courage, what does courage mean to you? So that is a very easy one for me because in our family, like I think our kids can repeat it in their sleep. Uh, but we always say that courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is to do something even if you are afraid. And so, uh, so not thinking that, you know, it's just this savage, I can do anything, but it's okay to be afraid, but we do it anyway. And, uh, and then God can do amazing things. Hmm. I love that. Well, any final words from you that you'd like to share? Oh, I should have prepared better. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't give you until the end. I didn't give you any yeah. warning for that last one, so. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, we I'm very happy to uh, to talk. I'm very thankful that I got to share. Um really um the, a word that I got from God through Winnie the Pooh actually when uh, Eva was born was um uh, I and I think it's it's um what's that pig piglet uh, or if it's i can't i can't remember who says what to who well i know what they said so he says whenever i saw you uh, at first i saw you as soon as i saw you sorry as soon as i saw you i realized an adventure is about to begin and uh, i read that in the hospital when you was just born and i just felt you know how something something just sometimes grabs your heart yeah, so I just yeah. felt like the personal message uh, to, uh, from God to me, like with Eva. And really, so far, it's been four and a half years, and it's really been an adventure. And her life uh, has made my life even more colorful, even more, uh, I mean, it was beautiful before that, but it's just wider, and and um, and I'm just excited to see what other adventures await me down the trail. Oh, that's amazing. I love when... Yeah, anything with Winnie the Pooh and Piglet is fantastic. But yeah, <laughs> I love that God used that to speak to you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for taking the time, especially the nap time, uh, to come and be on the podcast. It has been such a good conversation. I know for myself, I didn't realize, like, from a cultural standpoint, how deeply rooted some of that stuff was. And so I learned a lot just sitting here listening to you. So thanks again for being on here. Thank you, Madison. It was a real privilege. And I hope to see you in person soon again. Oh, yes. So soon. One day I will get to Lithuania. It will happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Debrief session week two on the courage to advocate. And we went global already. We took a plane. We went to Lithuania and had a little chit chat with Sana, which is amazing. I have not been to Lithuania yet, but I hope to get there one day and visit her family one day. Have you been? I have not been to Lithuania and furthermore, know nothing about it. 
I don't know if this is displaying my ignorance on the podcast, but I don't think I could find it on a map either. So this is a whole new thing for me and I'm excited to learn. Ah. Or I wasn't to learn. <laughs> you at least know it's a European country, right? Yeah. There we I go. I would have put it on that. that dra- I could have drawn a large circle. <laughs> there it is. There we go. <laughs> it's somewhere in here. <laughs> and everyone right now can be pulling up Google Maps trying to find Lithuania on the map. It's a co- super cool place from what I've heard. Anyway, Sana has a really cool story and uh, she has stepped really courageously into advocating. And that's because her daughter was born with Down syndrome a few years ago. And now they also have adopted another son with Down syndrome. And she has just gracefully stepped into this role of advocating because she found that, you know, she, when they had their daughter, like they loved her so much. But when they found out that she had Down syndrome when she was pregnant, like the doctors automatically told her, like, you have to terminate the pregnancy. And people who interact with um, her family now, like they're, she doesn't necessarily receive the love and acceptance that, that she would really, really like just because people aren't used to seeing someone with Down syndrome. So she's really had to do some work. But one thing that I found really interesting was how she talked a lot about the generational differences. And like this generation now is, is much more open to accepting people of all behaviors and all looks and all ethnicities and like everything. Like it's a very accepting generation and some people would say it's a fault, but I also think there's a huge gift there. But the other thing is like with the older generation, like they, they don't necessarily see it the same. So there's something so impactful about generations. And she talked a lot about like educating. Um, I don't know if there's, was there anything that stood out for you there with the educating and generational piece? I think her perspective on on the different viewpoints in different generations is incredibly valuable because I think like not just in Lithuania either, like anywhere in the world, people of our generation, like young people, when you come up against an older person who holds a a polar opposite viewpoint to you, I think it's very easy and almost like a knee jerk reaction for people our age to just write it off and be like, oh, you know, old people just have like different views I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not even going to talk to them about it. Like, it's so annoying. Like, and you just get into this mindset of like, they're wrong. So I'm going to move on with my life. And, and it taking a very negative view of the difference of opinion there. But I love the way Sana saw that as an opportunity. And instead of being angry, and she has a right to be angry. They're her kids and they're not being treated the way she wants them to be treated. And instead of just reacting and saying, the whole older generation is just wrong and I will not discuss it with them because they're wrong. She says, okay, I understand that you come from a different place than I do. I understand that you were taught differently. This is an opportunity for us to have a conversation and maybe something really cool could come out of it. Or maybe I might change your mind a little bit. Maybe you may come to see my kids the way I see my kids. Then that would be so beautiful. Hmm. It's really exercising like standing in someone else's shoes because like absolutely yeah like as you said like your knee-jerk reaction could be to get really defensive and be like oh well you're wrong and you need to know what I know rather than taking a posture of oh maybe you don't know and and why why wouldn't you know oh because you were raised in in a culture where where people who had say down syndrome or something else like like it they were just put to the side and herded into asylums and nobody in society was exposed to, to people uh, like with down syndrome. And so, so that would be just a whole new thing that they would have no idea about. And 
And oftentimes when people get uncomfortable or are unsure of how to behave, they, they can get really defensive. Right. So, mm-hmm. so from like a psychology standpoint, their behavior makes sense, but it yeah. does, it also doesn't mean it's right. And so I love how she's like so gracefully stepped into educating yeah. with, yeah. with hands of like, yeah, like your perspective needs a little bit of shifting. So we're going to work together to do it, but not get into this place of like, I'm going to get so mad at you type of thing. So one thing that I could see in terms of a life of advocating and educating people is it it could get tiring, especially if you're trying to prove your point constantly. Like sometimes you just need a space where you can breathe, right? And where people just get you. Uh, I know like for me, if it's easier sometimes for me to have conversations with people who just get it and you just sit with them and it's like, I can say five words and you just know what I'm talking about. And that is so much more, it's freeing rather than having to try and explain yourself over and over and over again. But one thing that she talked about was um, not only do you have to consistently hold a positive perspective, but you also have to be around a positive community. And for her, that was church. And, and I think there's such a gift in, like having that supportive, positive community, but, but it's not always easy to find, especially in unique. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Like that when you're doing hard work in a, in a broad sort of area where a lot of people don't agree with you, you, you need somebody who sees you, um, who sees what you're doing, like is behind you all the way. Um, I think that's so important because it would be so easy to almost view yourself as like a martyr for your cause all alone doing the work. And that sounds so noble, but I think you'll just burn out in a matter of like weeks or months. I don't think it would even take a year. And then, and then once you're burned out, then you're no longer doing the work and serving the cause. So although it seems more noble to just, focus a hundred percent of your attention on changing everybody's minds with no thought to your own self-care or mental health in the long run. It not only benefits you because you're healthy, but it actually does more for the cause that you're trying to further or the point you're trying to make or whatever you're advocating. If you go a little bit, say you go a little bit slower into your cause, taking more time to root yourself in a supportive community who can have your back pick you up when you fall down and make sure that you have the stamina to keep going, keep advocating in the long term. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, that just translates to life in general. <laughs> that, yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 You, you need to have the spaces where your cup is being filled. Otherwise you really have nothing to give or the things that you're giving are just not helpful at all. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I was this thinking. Connects. Yeah. Sorry, I thought at the same time, you go first. (laughs) Well, I was also just thinking of like the Black Lives Matter movement and it's been really big all year. And so I've been following a couple different people on Instagram in particular who are advocates of the BLM movement. And, And for them, like they're doing this stuff for the long haul. Like they're educating people through the mess of all of this and and through all the the opinions and stuff like that and I know that one of the accounts that I follow they talk a lot about how like you have to have places that you can go where you can recharge because yeah. it's it's yeah educating is not a short-term thing it's a long game and and you really have to pace yourself through that whole thing and the the last thing that I just think is really interesting when when we talk about this is 
we we have to acknowledge that it's not a the other side of the world's problem in terms of um, advocating on behalf of people who have disabilities. So in London, Ontario, which is where we're from, the last asylum closed in 2014. So it's only that's only seven years ago, which is crazy to me. So up until seven years ago, we were hurting people who had disabilities that we felt uncomfortable by. We were just putting them in this four-walled building and saying, we're more comfortable with you away. And and then it wasn't until seven years ago that we finally said, oh, maybe we need to be inclusive and and understand that everybody has something to bring. So, and that's going to take years for us to recover from. That's going to take years for the world to recover from. Um, but I think it's something that's really important to acknowledge is that that we aren't exempt from this at all. Yeah, it's easy to, not just in this situation, but in any situation, whether it's um, like on a global scale or even just a personal scale, it's very easy to find an example of an issue somewhere else or in someone yeah. else and just absolutely blind spot everything to do with yourself, whether that's on a small scale, like your own family or friend group or on a big scale, like with global issues. And it's it's always a good idea to stop and actually do the research or do the self-check to make sure that you don't have a big blind spot going on. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the one other cause that I think about is like sex trafficking and we think that's yeah. a far off thing, but again, like in London, Ontario, yeah. the city that we're in, like it's a, a huge problem. It's a huge problem. It's it's a hot spot and and we're often very blind to it. And so we need to sometimes allow ourselves to open our eyes that it's in our own backyard. And then once we see it and we want to advocate on behalf of it, we do have to figure out like what is the pace that we're going to go because we don't yeah. want to we don't want to be all gung ho about it and then 3 months in crash and burn. You're like I'm done. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, this concludes our little debrief on the courage to advocate. If there's anything that stood out for you, we would love to hear about it or anything that we talked about that maybe you want to piggyback off of, let us know and we will be back next week with another courage 